I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. Julie Chavez is an elementary school librarian and a mother of two who, after taking a long break from the workforce to raise her children, went back to work and realized she just took all of the work, put it directly on top of the pile of load, mental, physical, and emotional that she was already dealing with. And it led to her going through which she calls a season of severe anxiety and depression because she took care of everyone but herself. And after working through it, doing the work with therapy, with her family, she realized that ignoring the signs of anxiety caught up with her and her world went upside down and she had to put the pieces of herself back together, not neglect herself, focus on her self-care. And from that, comes a memoir called Everyone But Myself. This conversation I really wanted to have at the beginning of the year because I think that as working women and mothers, we often put everybody on the list except ourselves. And when we think about setting intentions for a new year and we think about what we want, you know, resolutions, But the resolution is, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to put myself on the top of the list. Thank you so much, Julie, for giving voice to something that so many women and men struggle with and giving us a a way to think about how important we are as people. Your story is so relatable to so many people and everything that I know about you. And so when we think about New Year's resolutions, or we think about how we want to set intentions going forward for the new year, I think about taking care of ourselves and all the lessons that you learned in your journey that you wrote a memoir about. I love hearing that. First of all, this is a book I feel like that I hope everyone feels permission, right? If you tell me I bought it and it sits on my nightstand for a year, great. Congratulations. That means you're prioritizing other things. Like I think there's a good opportunity because I think that when we're talking about self-care, moving into the new year is such a, it's a wonderful time and it's sort of a precarious time, I think, because we have these tendencies to think about change as something big or really something that we want to get a handle on. And that's not a bad thing in itself, but there is also a really fine line between creating change in our own lives and being too tough on ourselves. And especially if you're someone who's used to being an achiever or that is something that is meaningful to you. And it is to me, it's not a bad thing in itself, but when you get stuck there, then it becomes a real pressure cooker and putting too much pressure on yourself. I wrote it in my newsletter yesterday. It is very frustrating way to live. I don't recommend it. And yet I do it all the time. I was going to say, talking about achievers. (laughs) Yes. So you are, let's just travel back in time a tiny bit. Julie, you are a mother of two. Mm Mm-hmm. You were an elementary school librarian suffering from what anybody listening to this 
episode can understand, it's just the burnout, the pile of priorities where you are the bottom and you never, ever, ever get to rise up from that place. And what I think that's so cool about it is that you took the experience of just like anxiety, burnout, what happened and what you went through this like really like purging of life, which I'd love you to talk about, and then wrote a memoir about it. So you added to the list, you're writing about yourself, but you're still adding that pile is just growing because it's not like the other things go away. That's the whole, no. that's the real like rough end of the whole story thing is like, it never gets less, the workload, the life load, the kids, the experience of, of what it means to be a mother of children who are young and, and need you. Absolutely. I love that you said that because there were many times during the writing of this book where I'm like, it's like I'm trying to write a sequel by writing this book. What am I doing to myself? Like just adding more. What were you doing to yourself? Why? Why make it it harder? (laughs) I love this question. Why, Julie, think this already happened. You know, I think the best thing about having distance between when this happened and now. So I go through writing this Number one, I had no idea what it takes to publish a book. I was just, you know, happily ignorant of the many- You were on the other end as a school librarian. Just celebrating the the, the process and the output. Look at this book. Yes, this is amazing. (laughs) Just happens, magic, elves, bring it here. (laughs) It's so true. So it was really my, my ignorance and just happy stupidity that walked me into it. But I think- you know, also, of course, there was a side of me, I'm a lifelong reader. I find comfort in books and I find solidarity in books. And there's nothing better for me than reading a book and feeling like, oh, I I understand this because I've been there, whether it's in fiction or nonfiction. So I think, and just to go back to what you were saying a little bit about the purging. So this book is, you know, the story of a severe season or a season of severe anxiety and depression that I endured after I had arrived at this place where I had spent so long caring for everyone but myself that I had really fully taken myself off of my list of people I paid attention to. And that is a really unhealthy place to be because you can get drowned out. There are important things and then there are urgent things. And I think as a mom or anyone who really cares for other people, then the urgent in our lives is constantly noisy and needy. And so you're dealing with the urgent and you don't get to the important, which is how am I feeling? What's happening with me? So I had sort of stopped doing all that. I end up in this season. I went on medication. I had trouble finding help initially because even for a woman with access and and education and resources, getting help in our system is not easy. And so I went through a couple of false starts And then when I got to the end of that time, I found a therapist worked and it was about a year probably that really there were intentional small changes that I made over and over again. What were they? Well, I mean, it's funny because the ones I talk about are the ones that stuck. So I drink enough water. I exercise. I had stopped exercising as part of kind of that slide down. So exercise is really important for me, not only for the physical side of it, but for the emotional side. I think I need sometimes to access my feelings through my body. And sometimes I have to work out 
some of that. Things get tangled a little bit. So I think exercise helps me untangle. But the biggest thing, I think the biggest change I made, and it was a small change, and it was asking myself, number one, do I really need to do this about a million things? And then the second change was paying attention to when I started to feel anxious because anxiety was so new to me that I didn't really understand what was happening. I would start to feel very wound up. And eventually through the course of that year, what I understood, and this is true for me even now, when I start to feel anxious, it's usually a sign that I need to feel something. So I'm upset. I'm mad. I'm you know, worried. I'm all of these emotions that sit kind of under the anxiety, but my tendency is just to push, push, push. I'm going to do more things on my to-do list. I'm going to try and alleviate that anxiety in a way that doesn't stop and sit with this feeling. And I am a very emotional person. So it's a little bit of a paradox because you think I would have been good at that. And it was almost like I lost touch with that skill and with myself. So there's a story and just paying attention to saying, do I really need to do these things? There's a story in the book about how I didn't go to back to school night. And that was a huge thing for me to say, do I really need to do this? No, I work at the school. Like there are certain things, and this is why it's different for everyone. Because for some people going to back to school night is a really healthy thing for you to do. And it helps you stay connected with what's happening. But for me, it's just checking off a box that doesn't need to be checked. And so actually taking time to evaluate what was fruitful in my life and what was necessary was probably the biggest thing. So even now I do that a lot. Was anxiety or depression something that you had struggled with prior to children and prior to being in that point in your life? Depression, yes. So I had a loss in high school that's not included in the book for a variety of reasons, but I had a close friend who died in high school and that was an early time. I actually had gone back to a therapist. I had a bad breakup. So yeah, depression was always something that I had, I had had visits or seasons of, but it never looked like it looked this time. That's the thing is that it can change over time, right? So I felt way more typical depression in high school. And uh, after having my first son, I definitely had some postpartum heavy baby blues. I probably could have taken medication for it. I didn't end up doing it that time, but I was just flattened, disconnected from myself, didn't know what to do, but I was definitely more sad in those times. This time I felt amped all the time. Really interesting. And okay. Was writing a book something that you had thought about in any capacity Prior to this season in your life, was it was it a goal that you had put aside at the bottom of that list or was it just not something that was even thought of, you know, to put yeah. on the list? That's a good question. Well, and that's, you know, sort of picking up my thread, which I'm famous for dropping and then picking up, which is why I need editors in my life. I love nothing more than to bury the lead and to <laughs> confuse everyone. <laughs> but basically, you know, I go through this year, I make all these changes And then I had been writing a little bit on the side, but just as a hobby. I was a hobby writer. I enjoyed it. I was a Spanish major in college, so I didn't have any formal training or really instruction around it. And that's even true now. But I had written a lot sort of on the side. And someone had said to me, and many kind people had said, you should really write a book. You're a wonderful writer. And I would say, yeah, but I don't know what the story would be. Because I think that I put 
a lot of pressure on myself. I think I had a dream of writing a book, but I don't think I had it as a goal because I think I felt that I wanted it to be worth it for someone to read it. And because I love books so much, it almost put a little too much pressure on that whole idea. But then after going through this time, I realized that this was a story that was so common and we're starting to talk about it more, but we don't talk about it nearly enough because anxiety and depression are very isolating. And there is a feeling, especially if you're someone like me who really likes to be in control of failure in it or of I'm just not handling this and other people can handle more than I can, but that's just a useless way to think about it, even though it's valid because we do have those thoughts. How has the response been since you've written it? Have you heard from other women in your community, friends, people that you didn't know were going through a similar experience where you felt so isolated, like you were failing, but they felt the same way? too. They just didn't know, you know, there's no way to broach that conversation sometimes. Correct. The answer is yes. A million percent. I have heard from so many women. That's been the best part. And even men, some of the men that have read it, anyone who has struggled with anxiety and depression, and many of us have, I really do feel like there's something for any human in this book. And even if you're not the person who has struggled this way, you will see the face of someone else that you know or love or the woman down the street who seems, you know, a little bit of a mess. But I think it's a vehicle to start talking about it. And I think the thing I realized as I was going through the time, so probably I really was at my lowest in maybe April, May of 2018. And how old were your kids at that point? They were eight and 10. I think that's right. I'm bad with the time. I'll have to look. I I actually got an idea. They're about the same age as my kids. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So they were eight and 10 and they were just, so my oldest was in fifth grade and it was just at the cusp. He was about to go to middle school. So I had a lot of fear around that and just all these feelings that I wasn't dealing with. But once I went through this time and sort of cracked it open, you know, I would start talking to people and saying, yeah, I've been feeling anxious. And everyone had a story about how they had gone through that. Now at that time, that was tricky for me because I would feed off that anxiety. So if I were talking to you at that time and I would say, I've been feeling anxious and you would go, oh, I had a week long panic attack when we went to blah, 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 or whatever. That would be stressful for me because I was sort of triggered by it. But then now on the other side of it, it's so amazing to me to hear stories of anxiety and depression for sure, but burnout. I mean, I don't know a mom who can't relate to that feeling of I am at my wits end, I'm exhausted, and someone just barfed in the middle of the night. And now I got to deal with that. Like there's such a there's such a natural <laughs> yeah. pushing aside of of what you have to do as a parent and as someone who loves these people, it's such a paradox, right? How do you keep caring for yourself? It's interesting because I'm not a person who struggles with anxiety or depression, but I had an interesting situation happen to me that was autoimmune related. And I had very young kids, similar ages to yours. And I think that when you're not dealing with something that's in your life, your body tells you in a variety of ways. And you can ignore what it's saying for only so long until it builds and it snowballs and it snowballs and 
you're forced to confront what it is that you're ignoring. And oftentimes it's some level of unhappiness, neglect, overload, burden, stuckness. There's a million ways to say it, but it's the, I'm going to shove this thing down so far under all of the play dates, under all of the, you know, camp lists and things, which is so easy to do because there's so much of it. It never ends. You are exactly right. Yes. It's an easy thing to do. It's very easy. It's easy to blame your partner. It's easy Uh to blame your kids, your dog barfed, whatever it is. It's such an interesting time of life because there is so much. It's such a, and I'm not like victim blaming or like calling it a cop out. I'm just saying there's a mechanism that makes it easy, especially for women to like shove it until it can't get shoved anymore. I couldn't agree more. Then it's up to you to do the work. Yes. And by that time, you're so depleted that doing that work is so much harder. It's so much harder, but also when you come out the other side of it, you're so much stronger. You know, my husband and I have had like seasons of life, obviously, right? And we've had a lot of things that have happened in our lives since that time. And we talked once about being strong and this idea that I know for me that I am stronger, but it's not necessarily, I mean, there's an inherent strength I think that I've gained, but also I am stronger because I won't ever abandon myself again. I know what the worst thing is. That is the strength. The strength is really knowing yourself. It doesn't matter what the thing is that you're doing, I think. Like, it doesn't matter if you write a book or you run a marathon or you learn how to meditate or you, you know, lose weight or you, it's the idea that you're, you're recognizing that this has happened to you. Mm -hmm. You're recognizing in some ways that you allowed it. Yes. And you are recognizing that it's up to you to fix it. That no one else can fix this but you. And you can't fix anybody else. You can only fix you. Yes. And that that might be tricky for other people too. I think that's something that I talk about a lot in the book, which is this sudden (laughs) resurgence of my feelings was definitely tricky for my husband. And we have a really healthy marriage overall and we communicate well. And even for us, it was tough to navigate because there is this reprioritizing. People get very accustomed to you doing everything when you do everything. And, you know, I think also the thing that you were saying earlier about, you know, burying it under the to-do lists and the camp lists and all the things we are in a unique position of life where there's plenty to distract us. But also I think that it happens innocently in some ways, just when you were saying, even, you know, you don't want to say, it's not that I'm blaming myself, but I do take responsibility for sort of the ways that I was complicit in my own demise. It's It's sneaky sneaky. how it happens. And it's also very And there's a pleasure in it. Yeah, there's pleasure in it at at the first. You have a baby, you have a life, you have, I still love doing all of the things. It's just that I have to understand what I'm doing it and why, and still understand that there's like a me and there's, and I can delegate and what yeah. do I actually want? And yeah. And it's hard for some of the people around you to see that because they get used to it and maybe they're uncomfortable with that change or, and a lot of people are afraid to do it 
because they don't want to mess up whatever status quo is, or they are afraid what what's going to happen on the other side to my yes. marriage, partnership, children. Because it's yeah. scary. You don't know. You know, I think that's something that was so ingrained for me and a real part of my demise is that I became super afraid of change. I just was terrified that things were going to change, that everything was going to fall apart. And that was a lot of it. But one of the things my therapist said to me during one of our sessions that's in the book is she said, everything changes, Julie, and thank God it does. And I remember being like, "Mm, I'm not really sure about that, but fine. But now I comfort myself with that because I think that, you know, for people that feel stuck, there is an element of, look, everything changes and you change. And there is this inevitability to that. And you can embrace that and know that, you're not necessarily upsetting the cart. You're just taking the next step in who you're becoming. And so that idea of I'm going to not stay still for fear of things falling apart, but instead I'm going to move forward and know that even if I don't move at all, things will still change. So that sort of acceptance I think has been so key for me. And I have to remind myself constantly. Well, you must have gotten much better at delegating and letting go of control if you had the time to write and publish a book. So are there things that you did in that letting go that you think were helpful and would be good lessons for other people who are maybe struggling with the control and the having to do all the things themselves? 100%. I think that the first thing to remember is that you aren't valuable because of your endless availability. I started believing that lie, that that the most important thing I could be to my kids was available. And I would let them interrupt me. And and I still am guilty of this because I love them and I love being with them. And now that they're teenagers too, it's a totally different game where I'm like, oh, you want to hang out? Okay, cool. Thanks. Me? You want to be with me? Oh my God. Okay. Okay, I'll stop what I'm doing. That sounds yeah. great. So I appreciate that I'm not the only desperate one around here. Thank you for that. But so sad. I think, yeah, it is. It's just, it's just our lives. What are we gonna do? I told my husband that just yesterday. I was like, remember when like I couldn't keep them away from me? And now I'm like, oh, okay, you want to hang out with us? Great. Let's watch a movie. So I think the great thing is that I was so desperate that I was militant at first about keeping time for myself. So I think that I was just very conscientious about how I protected my time because I was so depleted. But as things started going through the ways that it looks now, I am very fortunate. My husband is really more of the cook at our house and he always has been. But then during that time, he became the one who grocery shopped. He's actually at the grocery store right now. Like he takes care of that top to tail. So I think the best thing is to, you know, I know Eve Rodsky has a great book about fair play and, you know, thinking about really looking honestly about the division of labor in your household, because really I had been a stay at home mom for 10 years. So I took care of everything. And then I went back to work and I just plopped that right on top of it and kept doing everything. So he is really the cook and grocery shopper in our house now. Just the other day, I had a great example because I was super overwhelmed And what I did was I took a trick from Emily Lay. She has simplified life planners. And she said, when you're feeling overwhelmed, make it a huge list. And this is a problem for me because I have school work job and then I have publishing job and then I have life. And it was the holidays. So it was a lot. Mm 
And she said, make a huge list with everything on it because it does two things. Number one, it really is a demonstration to everyone in your family as to your mental load, right? Like you put everything on there. You're going to pay this bill. You're going to do that. And then what I did though, I was sitting there with this list, just sort of my head in my hands. And my husband said, okay, let's look at this. And he said, stocking stuffers, I'll take care of that. So I think enlisting the help, because even though, you know, people are used to you doing things, think about it this way too. The joy that you get in loving your people and doing things for them, you want to give that to other people too. I mean, this is what it is to love and be loved. And so to make yourself vulnerable and say, hey, I need your help here. And I allow other people to care for you. Yes. To take care of you. Yes. You are worthy of being taken care of too. Exactly. The other thing we did too was started cleaning as a family. I mean, the kids were eight and 10, so they cleaned their bathroom. They did a fine job. I mean, we weren't like scrubbing the toilet with a toothbrush or anything, but this idea that what are the things that I am doing alone that I shouldn't be doing alone? So I think, you know, when you look at your list of things, let's say if you're a new year person and you're sitting down, make a list of all the things you do and then track it back, right? Are you the one who cleans the house? Great. That's wonderful. But also you're not the only one who messes it up. Are you the one who cooks? Great. But where can other people do the dishes? Like making these small changes and holding, you know, the people in your life accountable for that is a good thing. And it's healthy for them too, especially if you have kids, because we, none of us wants to raise you know, little terrors who are like horrible college roommates. So I think, I think it's I might just be. going to the goal. <laughs> I think I might be actually. I don't know how to get them to do any of the things. They, the whole time you're talking, I'm like, clean the bathroom. Can't get them to pick up the stuff off the floor of the bathroom. And they're disgusting. And it's like, I live in a frat house. I just, it is extremely challenging. We talk about it all the time. I'm like, maybe just one day you're going to get to a place where it's your own space and you're going to stop being disgusting. That's my goal. That's yeah. my hope. Because right now I really, I really feel bad for anyone well, who has to live anywhere with them, including myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so valid where, you know, and mine are great, but they are also just teenagers are teenagers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and shout out to, there's a great Instagram account called Teenager Pro Tips. And it has all of these hilarious things of like, it'll show, you know, 25 glasses on some kid's dresser because they've just been collecting glassware and you're like, and you know, strong effort. And I think, oh, I feel seen in this. So yeah, no, but I think there is, there is comfort in that we're all going through the same experience. There is, there is comfort. Sometimes I walk in if I've been out or in the morning and I'm like, can sort of retrace what happened while I was out or asleep where I'm like, so we ate dumplings and then we like, and then, it's like forensically putting the experience together by the trails of things left behind. hundred percent. And I know it's funny because, you know, my kids do more, but now they've also developed mechanisms to avoid that. So like when they hear the dishwasher go off, those kids go silent. I mean, and actually I've seen them sort of peek, like, is this, is this clean or dirty? And if they think it's clean, they just shut it and run away. <laughs> just like <laughs> you, t- you drive a car, just empty the dishwasher. But yeah, yeah, talking to them, especially once they're at that age, you know, 
tween teen, there is an element of, hey, I can't do all this. It's not healthy for me. And this is a way that we're a team. So I think trying to enlist it, but yeah, knowing that there will be many failures and yeah. Yeah. I One mean, of the teenagers. things I, I'm a, I'm a like relentless, maybe yeah. pathological optimistic person. And Love I it. like to think that everything happens for a purpose and a reason. And one of the things I think is that, like you said, life is always changing, right? And there, and there are seasons and you have very little kids and life is very trip. And now we're here in the teenage world and there's much more space to breathe because they're so much more independent. And it's very hard to see that when they're young. Yes. And in some ways going through that fire, the purge, the, the experience of finding yourself in that moment really is beneficial to setting you up for this next phase in life. I think about that with myself where if I was in the same place with my children and holding on and doing all the things and feeling that control, they're going to get older and mm-hmm. they're going to have lives and it would crush me. Yes. At that point. Yes. To have that experience then. Like it's coming for all of us at some point. So in some ways it's better to like work through that process. And when you're still in the thick of it versus like all the way at the end where you've, you know, you've made it. And I talked to women who have not done this and then their kids wind up leaving the house. And then all of a sudden they're sitting there and it's like the depression hits and the sadness hits and the, what did I just do with my life <laughs> hits? Yes. So what, one way or another, you gotta, you gotta face yourself at some point in time. Otherwise, you know, you're just gonna have in some ways not wasted, but it's a good time to have that experience happen to you. So that's, that's the flip side, the silver lining in some way. I couldn't agree more because I think that, you know, my mom said it, that when we left for college, you know, that she felt like she was being fired from the best job she'd ever had. And so I think having space to think about things ahead of time and to acknowledge that there will be intense emotion in it is always really valuable. So I do agree with you. And to learn who you are, what you like, make space for yourself, find hobbies, do all of these things. Don't wait until then. Don't Yes. Decide you want to write a book. Oh, no, no, I have to push it off because I have to be in control of everything in the entire world until then. There's yes. space and time to do it now so that you're in some ways prepared for the then. Yes. And there is sort of an element of, you know, this is what we have, which is now. And this idea of when I started my blog forever ago, we had attended a church in Seattle that we loved. And the pastor talked about, let's not be delayed by endless procrastination and distraction about what we want to do. And I think at the time that sort of sat like a little seed for me. And I will say on the other side of these shifts, exactly what you're saying, where there has been a huge gift for me of I didn't know that I was an ambitious person. I never would have described myself that way. And now I know that I have grit to see things through. And I have, you know, all these skills that I've developed through the book publishing, but also through being a person that can stand in the kitchen and think, okay, I'm going to have a senior next year and I can cry a little bit about that and then move on with my day. Like those are equally valuable to me because 
they acknowledge that I'm having these very human experiences and emotions and I can carry both. But I think there is to what you were saying, there's a particular danger for moms because there's a way that it shapes our identity for a section of our life that is so all encompassing, but remembering that you are not only a mom. And I don't mean that in a, I love being a mom. I mean, it's part of my core, but that well, cannot be my chief. Yes. It yes. cannot you're a person. be. Yes. Yes. It cannot yeah. be what I do, what I identify as first. Yeah. Cause as we know, as mothers of teenagers, oh, there's yes. very little gratitude coming back your way. So you better enjoy yourself because they're not yes. going to say thanks. Yes. One of the examples for me, and it's such a simple thing. I do puzzles now. Nobody in this house helps me with them. Nobody's interested. They'll kind of hover if I have like 20 pieces left and I say, get out of here, take a hike. But it's one of those things that sort of annoyed my husband because he's a relentless minimalist and he doesn't like crap everywhere. And finally, I was like, no, I'm going to do puzzles. I enjoy puzzles. They are good for my brain. They're good for my busy little mind and feelings. And that's what I'm going to do. And so I have a like trifold presentation board and I roll around with my puzzle and there's something lovely about, it's just mine. I do this just for fun. Like, and that finding those pursuits again, because you can just become subsumed by what they are about or what is happening in their life. And that's, it's dangerous for you. And it's also not healthy for them. They need to see that you are a person, even though you're a mom, so they'll only ever halfway think of you as a human, but like <laughs> they need to see that. And what a wonderful model for future partners. And just to know, oh, wow, this is a, this person should be a full person on their own. I love it. Thank you so much. This has been an amazing chat, a good way to think about going into a new year. And when we set expectations and, and, and we set our priorities for the new year, making sure that we're somewhere near the top. That is a perfect way to think of it. Yep. Just make sure you're on the list. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and help us make work work for you and for all women. 